you're listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Hello everyone, this is J.D. Fascinetti. Today I am very happy to welcome Dr. Scott Struthers, founder and CEO of Crenetics Pharmaceuticals. Crenetics recently announced results from their Pathfinder 1 clinical study for paltusotine, a once-a-day oral investigational drug for the treatment of acromegaly, which achieved very positive results. We had a great conversation about paltusotine, the results, and what's coming in the future. We also talked about another drug for Cushing's, currently in Crenetics Development Pipeline. Here's our chat. Hello, Scott. Uh, I am very happy to welcome you to the Pituitary World News uh, podcast. I know we, I was looking at the data uh, on our podcast of just before we got started, and I noticed that the first podcast we did was in October of 2017. Uh, so there, it's been quite a few years, and I know that at that time we talked about the famous CRN00808, which was the molecule that now became uh, paltucetine. So first of all, congratulations on the results. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll just dive in and talk about the clinical trials, phase one, phase two, what's coming up, uh, and uh, uh, Pathfinder 1, which is completed, and, and now coming up uh, Pathfinder 2. So I thought we would get started first with you telling us a little bit about what makes paltucetine different than the other uh, drugs in the market today. Great. Thanks, JD. Always glad to talk to you. And yeah, I remember that podcast and some of the others fondly. I, I think that fir first podcast was the Squeaky Chair podcast. <laughs> That's right. For, all of, yeah. for, all, for everybody that has not heard the podcast, Scott was sitting in a squeaky chair. And at that time, we did not have the technology to edit the the sound of the chair, but it made it great, you know, so, and memorable. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the funny thing, the reason we had a squeaky chair was at the time we were a very small company with yeah. uh, very little money and our chairs and uh, many of our equipment were all used, not very high quality, and that chair was a little squeaky. I got a new chair for today, though. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We, we uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that's terrific. And I know that, uh, yes, I remember at that uh, podcast because you you told the story of Trinetics and how, uh, how you got started, which is a, really a fantastic uh, story. But, uh, well, we, will, yeah. we will put a link to that podcast so if people want to listen to it. I'm sure that many of our, our listeners today did not hear it, so we will put a link to it, and uh, definitely you should all uh, tune in for that one because it's really interesting to compare where you were then and, and where you are now. You know, with these yeah, and, um, no, it's, uh, and that's part of the answer to your question. It's... it's Wonderful to see the progress. Um, as you say, that was 80, CRN 808 uh, yeah. back in the day because it was the 808th molecule we made as a company. And, wow. um, you know, it took a 807 misses to find one that was good enough for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've since gone on. We're now at compound 10,000 plus. And um, 
We also have a really interesting candidate for other pituitary patients for Cushing's disease, for example. Yes, I was going to... You know, today we can talk about paltucetine, yeah. and then maybe we'll talk about Cushing's disease sometime in the future. No, well, no, we should mention that too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I was going to ask you about the pipeline once we, we got through the... This, okay. this, so, so, um, so the question is about uh, you know paltucetine. What makes it different? And uh, you've explained to us in the past, and it's a non-peptide. But I thought we could you could tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah. So paltucetine is a, what's called a small molecule that we made in our laboratory, and a small molecule is is the type of thing that you typically think about when you're taking a drug uh, orally. Um, it's like Lipitor or pick your favorite medicine yeah. you take every morning. Um, whereas biologic drugs tend to require injections. And biologic drugs are things like the peptides that um, sandostatin or somatuline that we currently use for people with acromegaly and people with neuroendocrine tumors. But both uh, sandostatin and smatuline and paltucetine all act at the same way in the body to inhibit growth hormone secretion. And, uh, but what we did differently with this small molecule is we optimized every atom in the molecule to make it a good drug, or at least as best as we, we could. Yeah. And that meant things so that like when you take it orally, it gets into your blood and can inhibit growth hormone secretion or to make sure that it doesn't have interactions with other drugs or to make sure that it's only taken once a day so you don't have to think about doing it in the evening and in the morning. Um, and I think the data we saw this week um, really says that we, we made it right. We, we got the right molecule after 808 attempts. Uh, mm -hmm. It really seems to have played out, and uh, I'm just so excited for all the people out there that I hope we can get this to one of these days soon. Mm -hmm. So, <coughs> excuse me, uh, tell us about the, uh, the phase three, it was just completed where these results gave it. Was there, uh, uh, the, the drug uh, or the, the, the trial was extremely successful by all counts. Uh, and some potentially it's going to be great news for acromegaly patients uh, once this goes through the next uh, phase, which I will ask you about. Uh, but um, tell us a little bit about what the results mean. 83% of participants maintaining IGF-1. That seems like an incredible number. Yes, uh, yes. It was very exciting. And um, actually, I'm so grateful for all the patients who have come in and taken time out of their day to help participate in this study yeah. um, and make it a success. And um, this study was done in 18 different countries around the world. And, um, you know, between this and our other study, more than 100 different clinical centers. But uh, this is one of two what are called phase three clinical trials. The second one will finish early next year. We'll submit that to the FDA, and if it's positive, ask them to approve it for general use. Um, but Pathfinder 1 is what we call a switching study. So in order to be eligible to participate, you have to be 
already on, or the, the people who enrolled had to be already on one of the injectable depots, either sandostatin or semachlin, and doing very well. So they had to have their IGF below one times the upper limit of normal, which mm -hmm. we all know means in the normal range. And then the participants, we measure their IGF, we measure their symptoms, because it's important to remember that it's not just about controlling IGF, it's also about how you feel. Yeah, right? of course. Um, so we measure their IGF, we measure their symptoms during a baseline period, and then they are what is called randomized. So they get a packet of pills, and those pills either have paltucetine or they have placebo. And then we measure then for another eight, nine months. So this is a long period of time to make yeah. sure we're getting a real effect of the drug. And then we look at what happens to the patients on paltucetine or on placebo, see how their IGF levels are, and see how their um, symptoms are. Mm -hmm. And that 83% means that 83% of the people who started the study on paltucetine ended up with IGF below 1.0. And the, the ones that didn't, also if you look at some of our data more deeply, out of that, there was twenty. Um, there was thirty patients on active. Twenty-five ended up below one point zero. Four ended up just above one point zero. So they're still pretty good. Yeah. And then one subject who who we don't quite understand went up a little bit higher. And then we didn't want people to get sick, so we rescued them and put them back on their semachlin. Mm -hmm but their IGF still didn't go down. So something happened with that. It's one of those cases in medicine that now our, their physician and us are working together to uh, try and figure out what the best therapy is. For yeah. Well, I, remember, yeah. So I remember in my case, uh, 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 they, those, neither the stomatostatin analogs worked. So I right. had to go on, on, on big visament. And they right. were, it didn't even, you know, so that could be also, uh, you know, yeah, I think something changed. I think something yeah. changed that just yeah. happened to happen during our trial. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, uh, and it also talked about um, uh, side effects, which were minimal or at least not different than than, and that's that's also very important. No, the side effects. Well, yes, and that's true of our whole program with paltucetine. You know, we still need to finish the rest of the. Th the rest of the phase three and yeah. understand the full set of uh, safety and review it together with the FDA. Yeah. But generally in this study, it was uh, quite well tolerated. And in fact, if you look at the data on the symptoms, patients on um, paltucetine reported less adverse events than patients on placebo. Because on the placebo patients, what happened is their IGF started going up. Most of them went above one times the upper limit of normal. Only one patient still stayed below the upper limit of normal. And um, so their IGF went quite high. But we rescued many of those because, again, we didn't want their disease to get high. So most mm -hmm. of them went back onto the injectable depots. Yeah. 
So um, phase one, the, of it, I mean, Pathfinder one, the phase three is complete, and this is the data that you are talking about. And then the, I noticed as I was looking at your pipeline, it's there's a phase, uh, uh, the Pathfinder two, which is also on phase three. Can you talk a little bit about that study, which is still being, uh, uh, it, it's still in trial, correct? Right. Pathfinder two is a second phase three clinical trial with um, patients with acromegaly. It's also around the world at many of those same centers. But here we're looking at people who are newly diagnosed or for one reason or another are not currently receiving medical therapy. So their IGF levels are very high. They've got, they've got symptoms that need to be controlled. And we're looking at the ability of paltucetine to help. And so instead of switching and seeing if we can maintain their control, we're now seeing how well we do just uh, de novo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is what it's called in the literature, naive, right? Patients that are naive uh, yeah, on, on treatment, yeah. Yeah, not all of them are truly naive, not having ever had it before. Yeah. Some have been on somatostatin analogs before and have either stopped taking it for one reason or another or who as part of the trial agreed to stop taking it and then they, they're eligible to enter the trial. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I think the whole going from molecule to all of the steps you have to take to get a, a drug on the market. Once you finish uh, the data analysis on phase uh, three from Pathfinder one and then finish Pathfinder two, what are the next steps? Well, then we, when we assemble all the documents from all the studies that we've done, on paltucetine and all the work we've done to characterize its synthesis and the clinical work and the safety and there's there's a massive amount of information in fact there's 4000 or 2000 different reports that wow. go into the preparation of a filing to the NDA and many of those reports are thousands of page, pages long yeah so then we integrate all that write the parts that connect the reports together, submit it to the FDA, and ask their permission to market in the US. And then we have a discussion with them that probably takes about a year. And then they tell us whether the drug gets approved or not. And then at the same time, we also think about, uh, you know, there's, these trials are done around the world and there's acromegaly patients in every country and every part of the world. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how to get it to people else outside the U.S. Yes. Um, so we have a partnership in Japan that's working very hard to bring it to the people of Japan. And then we're working on figuring out our strategy to get it to other, other regions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would think that being a, uh, an oral uh, uh, therapy is so much easier because all you have to do is deal with a pill <laughs> like I think like you were mentioning in 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 a release it's so much better to just get up in the morning you take a pill and you don't think about your acromegaly medication for the rest of the day that you know that's that's pretty cool um, yeah that's you know just wake up take your pill move on yeah. um you yeah. know I'm, there's you people with acromegaly or People without acromegaly, probably most of us after a certain age, get up and take some pill in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or several. 
<laughs> yeah, or several. So, so in, in terms of timing, what's your best guess uh, for, or, or can you, I suppose the question is, can you guess when potentially you would have a mar uh, drug in the market? Well, if all goes well, then this should be sometime in 2025. And we'll, of course, be, of course, be uh, in close touch with you and let yeah. you know as we know a little more clean, look, clearly what the date is. Yeah, that, well, that's fantastic. We're, looking, we're absolutely looking forward to that. That'd be great. So um, by all uh, you know, standards, this is, this is very good news. And I think people with acromegaly should be, uh, I think, happy that uh, companies like yours are looking at all of this and looking at new ways to... To, to solve the, the issues that they have. Uh, where do you see the future of meds for acromegaly? Or does, is the work that you've done so far for paltucetine open other avenues of thinking, uh, you know, for, for future drugs? Well, a couple things. So for acromegaly, I hope paltucetine can get out there and just make life a little simpler for people so that they can take their pill in the morning and not have to worry about their injections or getting to the clinic or the, what the injection may do to, uh, you know, being able to sit down for a day or something. Yeah. But um, <coughs> from it, we've also built the company and that has allowed us to develop the ability to do clinical trials around the world to discover drugs in our laboratories and we're applying that to a whole range of other endocrine diseases in the pituitary area like i, I mentioned uh, cushing's will be one of the ones that are next in line or yeah, congenital yeah. adrenal hyperplasia but so i think we've learned a few things about um, how to do that but to be fair paltucetine doesn't cure acromegaly it just controls it and uh, I don't know how to do it yet, but yeah. I'd love to find something that's a cure, not just a control. Yeah, or something that reduces the tumor or the, the, so much of, the, of that. Yeah. yeah well, that we, we'll see. In Pathfinder 2, um, you know, these are new patients. Most will probably have had surgery, but some may not. Mm -hmm. And um, somatostatin analogs do shrink, are known to shrink uh, pituitary yeah. tumors that cause acromegaly. Yeah. So yeah. we'll be looking for that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, well, you know, so many people have, a, as you know, you know, residual tumors. So, so right. anything that, that helps there, that would be fantastic. Um, well, it might be worth spending a second to talk a little bit more of some of the data that we did present. Yes. Yeah. We, please. We go, it was more than just that 83%. Yeah. Um, now, that was what's called the primary endpoint. But when you looked at just the IGF levels themselves, they stayed the same for, for almost everybody, unless you're on placebo, and then we, you know, they went up. Mm -hmm. And this uh, symptoms, we developed a new tool called the Acromegaly Symptom Diary, or ASD. And patients on the injections, when they switched to paltucetine, their symptoms stayed the same, so it maintained control. And then, of course, on patients with placebo, it got worse, but then we rescued them before it got too bad. Yeah. But what I'm really interested in next is we just looked at some of the data from this study so far, and I know that a lot of folks on the monthly injections have problems towards the end of the month 
with the return of symptoms. Well, the participants in this study filled out our diary every day. So now I want to go look and see, you know, was it, was it sim were their symptoms stable during the day or not? And I think that's a very important finding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing we noticed that was kind of surprising is when their acromegaly wasn't very well controlled on placebo, the first symptoms that came back were numbness and tingling and pain in your joints. Um, on average, not for yeah. everybody, yeah. not for everybody, but on average. And, um, you know, I know how much that bo bothers some of the friends that I've met through the years. And um, being able to talk about that and see what happens now in Pathfinder 2, where people are, are sick and they need new treatment, this will make them better is the hope, yeah. rather than just keep them at what's happening with uh, their current medical therapy yeah yeah that's that yeah i suppose that the, the the this that phase of of the study that you're talking about has all kinds of things that you will be learning that are that are potentially uh uh very helpful no for the for, yeah. for patients so yeah and and you mentioned um uh worry about patients with tumors and the size we also checked everybody at the beginning and the end of this study and nobody's tumors were growing. Yeah, I mean, we did MRIs on everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, uh, So I noticed uh, the other thing that's really interesting, you know, from a, night, a, a patient point of view, is uh, the size of the sample. You know, I noticed that uh, you know you say, okay, well, there's uh, I think that for Baltusetti is sixty patients, right, F uh, and fifty fifty. Um, uh, on placebo or randomized, however that, that, that way. But they, I, I always think about the um, work that it takes to get people to participate in these studies and how great it is that, that people that can uh, do it because they're doing a service to science and to every patient with acromegaly. Uh, so we always encourage that. Anybody that, that uh, has the opportunity to investigate and if it works to get on a clinical study and, and get involved to help which is yeah which is great. that's absolutely true and it it is a lot of work you yeah. know you need to go to the clinic every month and there's a lot of blood tests and a lot of other health checks as part of the study yeah um and not everybody can do that so the people who can are really making a big difference in in moving medicine forward yeah yeah so, the other thing, actually, yeah. that uh, I do think helps those people directly who participate in the trial is if you're doing well, they're allowed to enter what's called an open label extension. And so we now have more than 120 patients in our open label extension study that have gone in from our various clinical trials. Yeah. And some of them have been on the drug now for four years or almost four years. So we're seeing it's they're contributing to understanding how long and how well it continues to work and how safe it is. Yeah. But they're also those 120 people aren't dealing with injections every month. So I think we've helped oh. them uh, directly. Yeah. Yeah. And they seem to be doing quite well in the, you know, in the various publications and, and presentations we've made of the data from that study. So, uh, 
you know, knock on wood, obviously, but it sounds like you haven't seen anything that would bring a red flag so far, even in 40 years with all this data that you have, and as you're analyzing it towards uh, a drug. So is that the case? Or the, I'm sure that there's always things that come up, but uh, h how do you feel, about, or can you, can you share with us how you feel about the prospects of the drug? Well, I think the prospects are good. Overall, it's been very safe and, and well, well tolerated. But we need to dive deeply into the data, and we need to make sure there's not something hiding in there that yeah. we haven't found yet. Yeah. Uh, that's why you do these clinical trials, and we need to see the um, results of this next one and analyze the results of the uh, open-label extension and work together with the FDA to make sure that all of us looking at this as hard as we can, that this drug is safe enough to be used by you know the thousands and thousands of people with acromegaly around the world. Yeah. So we're not done, but it looks pretty good, right? Yeah, now. that's great. Yeah, yeah. That, if uh, that's that's uh, that's fantastic. What I I was very excited of honestly to get the uh, results and. Uh, when you uh, made them public and, and uh, we published uh, an article. And I also want to point out that in, in your website, you have a patient section and there's a great uh, uh, explanation about the clinical uh, study for paltucetine there. So um, we're going to put a link to that so people can read it if they haven't seen it. Uh, and and obviously the release there's a lot of technical stuff so sometimes patients <laughs> you know, it's a little more difficult but I, I, I think yeah. that it's wonderful that you're taking the time to chat with us and to explain all of this coming from the horse's mouth which is wonderful uh, well so, thank you and you know yeah. on the patient side I, I wanted to note and also thank uh, all the people who've participated in our acromegaly patient council yeah so we have a council that meets regularly and uh, it's been going for several years now and it's provided input on all our trial designs and how we think about things and um, you know so we have people from the patient community helping us not just as participants in trials but also advising us on what trials should look like yeah yeah that's so, fantastic yeah just putting the putting giving the patient a, a seat at the table for design and those sort of things, it's critical. So that's wonderful. So I thought we would spend a, like two, a couple of minutes, if you'd like, talking about the Cushing's uh, 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 drug under development now, which is on, I see, uh, let's see, phase, just finishing phase one into phase two, correct? It finished phase yeah. one. And what we showed in phase one is that um, you can lower cortisol levels in healthy volunteers, and now we're seeing what it does for patients with uh, Cushing's disease, and another disease related called congenital adrenal hyperplasia. hyperplasia. Should should we take a moment to give the background on Cushing's and yes, how yeah, the drug works? Yes, yes, please. So I think uh, you know some of the some of your audience with Cushing's understands it, but. People with other pituitary disease may not know about Cushing's, but it's very much like acromegaly where there's a tumor in the pituitary, but this makes another hormone called ACTH. And ACTH then goes into the bloodstream and tells your adrenal, adrenal glands to make another hormone called cortisol. 
and cortisol is the main stress hormone. So ACTH is the center of the stress pathway. Yeah. And, you know, we know stress and too much stress is not good for us. But patients with Cushing's have hormones that think they're the most stressed ever all the time. Yeah. And so the goal is to lower those. And so our molecule there is called CRN4894. It hasn't gotten a name yet. Name We're yet. working on the name. Yeah. But you can see it's already you know, 4,894. Yeah. Um, but that molecule then in healthy volunteers showed that it blocks the action of ACTH. So it prevents that extra hormone from working a lot like Pegvisimont works yeah. and lowers the amount of cortisol in the blood. And so now we're doing a study together with uh, researchers at the NIH to look at this in the first Cushing's patients, and then we're thinking about how to do additional trials in Cushing's disease. That's great. That's fantastic. And that is uh, progressing, and I'm guessing probably three or four years out before you have anything, uh, if you progress with the, with the trials. Anything well, these things do take time. Yes, I don't have course. a firm timeline yet. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, more information on that trial is available at clinicaltrials.gov, and I know they're recruiting patients uh, at the NIH. Yeah, great, terrific. Get the best Cushing specialist in the world there to look yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. We'll put some uh, a link to that as well in the article for the podcast. As we were ending our conversation, I asked Dr. Struthers about how the study, the paltucetine study, had progressed in other parts of the world. He talked specifically about South America. Here's that segment. One thing I thought was interesting is, um, you know, like our other studies, uh, the, the patients in South America really made a big contribution, both in Argentina, I know your home, yes, um, and also Brazil. So yeah. it's, it's really nice to see that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to know so many people in all around the world. So tell me about that a little bit in Latin America. Will the drug be uh, uh, available there once, you, once it's approved by the... Obviously, it has to go through the, you know, whatever country's authorities are, health authorities, but once it's approved from the FDA, I'm sure that would make it a lot easier to distribute. That will make it easier. We'd still have to get approvals and go through the regulatory agencies in all the other countries. Yeah. Um, but again, like the patients in the U.S., the folks in South America um, are all in, able to enroll in the open-label extension studies, and you know we've been providing drug to them now for for years yeah. for many of them. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I know they have you know the issues in Latin America with uh, sometimes access to medication is critical, and and so many in so many countries they just don't have the. The drug, so. Well, frankly, access to medicine is not even easy here in the States. <laughs> That's um, true. There's so many hurdles. Um, and one of the things we're working now is to develop a strategy to work with the insurance companies to make sure this is accessible to patients with acromegaly, not just from a, you know, it's easier because you can get it mail order and take it at home rather than go to the clinic. but you know, make sure we try and keep the copays down and make sure you don't have to go through an injection before you can be eligible for the pill. Yeah. Um, so it's, 
you know, access is a problem worldwide, it not is. just in South America. I know it's better here. But. Yeah. No, but 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 it but you're absolutely right. It's one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time and a lot of ink on as well in Pituitary World News. How how do we make this better? You know, what what are the collaborations needed to make it easier for patients and easier for prescribers and everybody else to get these oh, medications? Yeah. The, the prescribers also have a big burden because a, a lot of these medicines, they just get an automatic rejection, rejection to yeah. authorization. Yeah. And then the physician or their office has to spend a lot of time um, trying to convince the companies that you actually get the medicine that you need. Yeah. Um, and so we're also working on support services for the physicians or the prescribers so that they're their job is a little streamlined as well because you know you can you can do all the great science you want and do all the great clinical trials you want but if pay, people can't get access to that yeah. medicine you haven't done your job yeah yeah and it's fantastic that you're thinking about it or you've been thinking about this obviously and doing things to be ready to go when you have a uh you know a drug ready to market that is uh you know that's that's fantastic so, well, we, you know, you got to plan ahead in these things. <laughs> no doubt. You can't just do it overnight. <laughs> that is true. Well, yeah. Scott, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really a, a great pleasure. And I, I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing you in person uh, soon. I know we've done uh, a series of podcasts uh, in your, with your, all your team uh, at Chronetics. And it's just great to do. And uh, even with people that were working in the lab, I, I think we did one that was great. So, um, well, and and they enjoyed the chance to really get to talk to you. Yeah. And so I think know that I I would love to do that again. So we'll have to plan for that one. You know, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that far away. No, not at all, not at all. Well, well, thanks again for for joining me, and it's been a pleasure chatting with you. You too, JD. Thank you, and thank you to your audience and all the folks that have helped us uh, move this trial forward. You have been listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Our thanks again to Dr. Scott Struthers, Chairman of Chronetics Pharmaceuticals. Pituitary World News is a non-profit organization supported by grants from a variety of firms and foundations and from our listeners and readers. If you'd like to donate, please visit pituitaryworldnews.org and click on the Donate button. Thank you for listening.